0: I'm really excited to have Rafat Ali, who went on to be CEO of two companies that he started himself after working for me for a brief time. Uh, Rafat uh, is now the CEO and founder of a product called Skift. Let's talk about travel. Uh, I am hearing uh, that things like Uber and extended stay hotels Uh, in certain regions are now getting back to 60-70%. Is that a correct statistic? So
1: extended stay, which is longer term hotels, right? Yeah.
0: Um, They they, they have
1: been doing well throughout the pandemic, which is people using that as a longer term stay, whether people moving out of cities and staying in these hotels for a while, or uh, people just wanting to get out of their house. So extended stay, in fact, um, they're the only hotel extended stay america yeah um is is the only public hotel company that has posted profits through these pandemics and so because uh, they so have kitchens well. right
0: they, i mean if you have a kitchen Correct. you don't have to go out that's why right. I, I love staying at those and i like I, you know like people are like oh I'm just staying at the four seasons i'm like i like a place that has uh I like a kitchen. I like to make my well, coffee. I mean for in the for
1: that reason, Airbnb, which a lot of people were writing off at the start of this pandemic, saying people are done uh. with short-term rentals. Nobody wants to stay in a- another house because of the cleanliness, et cetera. Guess what? We are here today, August 10th, we're recording. Um story today that they're they're looking to file their IP on the next month.
0: So Which they must the, have had a huge rebound. They must. So
1: like probably one of the biggest comeback stories of this pandemic, business stories of this pandemic will be Airbnb if it happens. I mean, it may still not happen because IPOs are very dependent on wh- where the markets are at, uh, you know, that week. And so um, people traveling locally, obviously that's what, what everybody is doing. They're not traveling international. And people wanting to stay in houses mm. that they can either control the space themselves or clean it themselves. Right. And that's why short-term rentals outside of major cities, like the prices on Airbnb today, if you go, you'd be surprised that it's the highest I've ever seen for wow. houses or places just because there's so much demand. Obviously, it's the summer too, so this is peak season for that perspective. But it's expensive. Yeah. And it looks like, I think Brian, the CEO, said maybe last week that their July was the highest July month that they've ever had in terms of Ooh. the bookings. So um, it's That's an incredible story. So they, yeah.
0: I think, they the, the tailwinds they have are Americans can't go to Europe this summer because we've been banned. I think Americans Correct. are allowed in Mexico, Turkey, and Turkey. Like we're not allowed, and are we allowed anywhere?
1: No, not in Europe anywhere. Uh, I think there's a there there's potentially. Uh, one one country in, in Europe that you can go through. I think that there's that. But yeah. Car- in, you can go to Caribbean islands and you can go to Mexico. Really, that's it.
0: Right. So people so are basically driving somewhere. Yeah. Um, let's talk about if it's... So just to, oh, to wrap up on Airbnb. Airbnb going public has what impact on the entire travel industry? How do... Th- are they demolishing the hotel business or just inducing more t- people to take longer vacations and more people to take vacations?
1: Well, so um, in general, before this pandemic, the uh, the hotel industry was also booming. It's not like Airbnb was booming. Yes, before this pandemic, but also hotel industry was booming. So net net, there were more people, there was more demand. And you and I, Traveling have different personas when we travel for business or when we travel for with family. So I would book a hotel for a business, a quick business trip. But I would I would uh, always book an Airbnb for family, just because you know we have kids. Same, and You need same. more space. Yeah. And so I think that behave and and we're traveling more. You know, compared to certainly ten years ago, um, that that you and I were traveling. So I think net net the market has increased and it mm. it, it lifted all tides or the boat lifted all tides, whatever their phrase is. Yeah, um, rising
0: tide lifts all boats. All boats.
1: And so now where demand has contracted dramatically, now people will be choosing. Mm. Obviously, people are not traveling for business. Most of the people, I mean, except for essential. So I think business travel is going to be affected in many cases,
0: permanently. Okay, hold on um, a second. What is the permanent impact on business travel? Is it that now that everybody has a home studio and has proven they can do certain things over Zoom that they are going to, you know, not have to go do the sales call in person? What, what's actually happening with business travel?
1: Yeah, we did a story uh, last week that said, is the, the, the headline was, is the single business trip travel over not that's nothing but but the point was that if you're going to make us a, a trip for a single meeting mm. those types of business those types of trips are probably gone you want to collect uh, enough meetings whether on a conference or something when conferences come back and be able to do that uh, a lot of the things that we thought were not possible doing, f- doing, um, on video are not possible for us to close deals, for us to do sales, for us to be, uh, doing conferences over, over video as well. So I would expect a permanent potentially 10 to 20% demand going out of the market permanently. In fact, wow. I'm, I'm not the only one saying that like Delta CEO has said on earnings call, uh, that he, he expects, um, business travel to be permanently impacted. Mm. And so, um, so wow. I think that'll be very, very interesting. Um, from a, from a opportunity on your side of the world perspective, what will fill that gap, and it's the virtual tech that you will be investing in and, and investors like you'll be investing in that will create the future.
0: Today's guest Spencer Kimball is the uh, CEO and co founder of cockroach labs, I want to talk about the paradigm shifts that are coming. And, you know, like I'm talking big stuff. So, it seems to me, you know, serverless is one of those paradigm-shifting technologies. Uh, quantum computing is one that's often cited. Power and power consumption, uh, and then CPUs generally. Storage is sometimes a blocker when you look at things that could shift paradigms, you know, in the next fifty years. And now, we're, you know, now we're going to sort of go from the midterm to the long term here. What are the paradigm shifts that you know our kids and, and and their kids will be looking at when it comes to computing
2: well, well one big one that's going to happen in the next several years that you didn't mention uh would be 5g i i, I do think that uh it's rare to get uh, latency uh significant uh, significant improvements in latency that happens very infrequently in, in computing and i think that there's you know the the real-time experience is something that most people just haven't really uh imagined what's possible. And okay, obviously, you so realize let's stop for
0: a second and explain latency as it currently stands now when I'm using my cable modem or my 4G phone LTE versus what it would look like there and then what, what that experience would open up of e- extremely low latency. What would we be talking about here?
2: So when you really think about latency for most applications, obviously, high frequency trading and some gaming is different. But mostly, what you want to do is get under 100 milliseconds, that 100 milliseconds is kind of like, I guess, the US Department of Defense figured this out. This is the command and control system um, limit threshold. If it's under 100 milliseconds, it feels instantaneous to a human being. Got it. If it's over 100 milliseconds, you've noticed the lag. And so uh, for certain Which is things a tenth
0: like of a second for people to understand, correct?
2: exactly a tenth so, of a second so it's not it's not it uh, doesn't seem like much but it's an eternity in in computer world but like you know the, the reality is that when you everyone on their mobile phone right now hits buttons and they are they find it extremely normal to wait a second or more for something to come back right and 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 what what could happen is you know 5g is a, is very much an enabling technology because it, it's basically going to ensure that you know for all of the users out there that have 5g you're able to get on the backbone within say you know around ten milliseconds ten to twenty wow. milliseconds and, and that's uh you know that's kind of true with LTE right now but it's it's not um, it's not very consistent hmm. uh, but the combination of 5g and, um, and and also startup companies and bigger companies you know anyone that has a service they have to actually co-locate the application servers and the data next to the customer. That's mm-hmm. why when I was talking about this horizon where you squint at it and you say, here's what serverless could be, I'm talking about uh, scaling globally. And really what that means is giving global customers a local experience, which means that you need the 5G so they can get, close, they can get on the backbone quickly. But then you need to make sure that the application and the data is mm-hmm. stored close to the customer. So you can't have an Australian user hopping across to Virginia. And that, uh, that is going to be like a, a really big uh, paradigm shift when you can actually easily, you know, democratize the ability of even a startup uh, to create a global application data architecture so that they can give customers wherever they show up. Let's say they show up in Brazil. You don't, don't really know when you're a startup or Tokyo or something mm. like that. You want to give all of those customers a, a wonderful sort of first class user experience. And I think getting everything under 100 milliseconds in your application is going to enable a lot of uh, what feels very fundamentally different in terms of how applications behave. Like imagine when you're sending a tweet out or you're you're typing something. Uh, right now you might get some little... Uh, yeah, a uh, little spinning little wheel of dev, little dot, dot, ig- dot,
0: ellipses, whatever. So-and-so is you know. typing. Yeah.
2: Exactly. And and what you could do instead is really um, create a, a vibrancy through... Uh, you know, real-time interaction with the larger community. Right. Uh, that's, that's going to change how things feel. You'll feel this connection. Uh, Rich, right now, you know, there's like this, uh, everyone spends so much time, you just walk out on the street, I mean, less in COVID times, but everyone's sitting there glued to their phone. We're spending hours a day, like through this interface into these virtual worlds, but it's very slow. So the interface is like this incredible lag. Uh, which doesn't feel so bad compared to writing a letter or you know sending an email. Even it feels quite real time compared to that. But uh, the it, it could feel uh, more like real life, and I think that's going to be a um, that's going to usher in uh, a lot of new use cases, a lot of change, uh, and and a lot of opportunity fundamentally.
0: I'm really excited about uh, our next guest. Jason Fried is with us. You know him as the co-founder, along with my good friend. David Hanmeyer Hansen, who's had two amazing um, episodes of this podcast over the years. We've had great discussions, um, and they co-founded Basecamp together back in, I think, 99. uh, And they have a new product that just came out called Hey.com that's taking the interwebs by storm. I've been trying to have Jason on the pod. I don't know. We've been talking about this for five or six years (laughs) in the making. Explain to people who don't understand the beef you had with Apple how it went down and, and what your position was and what their position was.
3: Yeah, so um, there's a lot to it. So first off, we released, or we followed all the unwritten rules. So the unwritten rules basically are, if you have a software as a service product, which is what Hay is, um, and you allow signups on the web, well, you're not allowed to say, sign up on the web on the iOS app or or subscribe or have any billing information or mention money in any possible way in the app, if you don't wanna pay Apple 30%, which we don't, um, this is what we do with Basecamp, this is what Salesforce does, this is what Slack does, this is what Netflix, everyone does. You Netflix, Spotify. All of them, right? Um, you don't mention all of things. them, yeah. Yeah, almost all of them. You don't, you don't mention these things, because this is the unwritten rule. As long as you don't mention that, Apple's been cool with it in the past, so that's what we did with, hey, we did the same thing we've done with Basecamp. Basecamp's been in the App Store for eight years, never a problem. We submit the app version 1.0 to the App Store, um, Apple approves it. So mm. we're in the App Store. Wonderful. We're all happy. We're thrilled. Um, then we release 1.02 to the App Store, which is a bug fix update, and they reject us. And they reject mm. us on the grounds that we basically owe them 30% of our revenues because we are a paid product, and you have to offer... If you have a paid product, you have to offer in-app payments, Apple's payment system within the apps to allow people to subscribe, which was news to us because we followed all the unwritten rules everyone yeah. else followed. You know, and and we never had that experience with Basecamp, so we we thought there must have been a problem, and so we filed we filed an appeal basically, and then they came down saying no, no, we're right. We as an Apple, we're right. You owe us thirty percent, um, or and or if you don't, you know, if you don't comply, we might kick you out of the App Store essentially, like completely out. Even though we already approved your one we might just kick you out. Right. And so that's an existential threat. I mean if you're not in the app store and you have an email product like you're you're in trouble you're done right
0: well also because the apple consumer are the are the the vanguard they are the early adopters and let's face it they are um they pay they pay and anybody who's had an app in android gets you know three times the downloads in android and one third the revenue or something in that ballpark
3: yes so we had to be there and so you know, um, then you know. So we filed this appeal; they rejected us, uh, and then we kind of went to the press, which is what Apple says you shouldn't do. <laughs> they have a whole no; they thing, like, do not. Don't like go that. to the press. Yeah. So, but you know, like here we are. We're a small independent company. Um, we. We have a lot of followers. We have a lot of fans. Uh, the product was was doing so, like, the launch of Hay was unlike anything we've ever launched before. The enthusiasm was off the charts. And here we are, unable to bring simple bug fixes to our customers. That That's a problem. We don't like that. That's not fair to anybody. So we kind of go to the press and tell the story, and it, it blows up in a, in a big way, huge way. Um, David's leading this charge because David's great on Twitter. He's and particularly he how good
0: at mixing it up. <laughs> as the ratings from this podcast... Prove and as yeah. our Twitter followers will agree.
3: <laughs> yeah, if you have a sweeps week kind of thing, like you want David on the show. Always, basically. always <laughs> yeah. get him off so, of the sweeps week. <laughs> so, anyway, that's so David, you know, took, took to Twitter and I took to Twitter, but David really took to Twitter and um, we made some noise because this is just flat out unfair. First of all, it's monopolistic. Second of all, it's inconsistent. And here's the thing, we're fortunate that no, we have Basecamp. We have a we already have a business that's functioning, right? If we launched Hey and we didn't have Basecamp, we put two years into this product and we're following the unwritten rules that Apple has, and it seems like it's totally cool. And we put this thing out in the App Store and Apple kills it, like we could be out of business instantly, literally.
2: It's bu- so,
0: it, it just feels like bullying. It's it it's does. unfair and it's lame. And, and it's and- impossible
3: for a small business owner, especially an app maker, an individual. To know what's coming from Apple, if they change the rules, if the rules are, are selective based on who you are, based on unwritten rules, based on back, back office dealings, it's just like it's impossible. It's just impossible and unfair. And so we we went public with this, with this notion, and, and it got a lot of coverage and a lot of discussion. Which, this happened to be a week before WWDC, which was not planned, but it turned out to really, I think, turn up the heat on Apple on this.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's it's a different era now, and you and I have both as underdogs coming up in the industry, you know, around the same time, we both realized you always fight up, and yeah. <clears throat> it is a great marketing strategy. And in fact, in your book, Rework, uh, <laughs> the the great money quote is, having an enemy gives you a great story to tell customers too. Taking yeah. a stand always stands out. People get stoked by conflict. They take sides. Passions are ignited, and that's a good way to get people to take notice. So, a cynical person might say, "You knew this was coming and set it up." Yes or no?
3: Well, a cynical person might say that, but yes. absolutely not. I mean, no. there's no way okay. that We truly we. we you didn't followed, know if they we would followed. do that. Yeah. I had no clue. in fact, they they approved 1.0. Like. If our plan was to have them approve 1.0 and then reject the future versions, which had no changes that were material to, to payment, that would be, like David says, playing 4D chess, basically. Like, we put this in the App Store. I, I, we wanted none of this controversy. This was a shitty two weeks for us. I mean, it was well, brutal. Well, it also sucks was,
0: because you can't make basic fixes. And yes. everybody knows when you hit scale, you get the first 10,000, 20,000 people, things are going to pop up. What's great about the moment today, though, is five or 10 years ago, You know, Apple uh, wasn't under the scrutiny of the government. Uh, Antitrust wasn't such a big concern. Uh, And anybody like I did with Google when I was complaining about their Panda update and the way they treated us at Mahalo or other folks where they would change the SEO rules specifically to kill Yelp and have, you know, Google local above it. I had no way, I mean and people were like let it go Jason, you're you're being difficult and stop beating up Matt Cuts and da 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 da. But today if I was in that fight, you know, you've got congressmen and senators and the EU. Yeah. Taking action and you know the 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 scale of Google and Apple are so huge right now that they're held to a different standard where you know, I don't think they particularly want to pick a fight with you and, and David. Because it's just not worth it to just extract if you become a hundred million dollar a year of business, that 30 million is not worth them losing control of the app store. Which is the possibility? Do you think will will we'll see Apple lose and have to accept third-party app stores or, or those kind of things on their platform?
3: i I, I don't think that's going to happen.: It could, but here, here's the thing that that's frustrating, I think about it. A couple things. First of all, the 30% is, of course, like what everyone's eager to talk about because it's money and they'll think it's an easy thing to talk about. But but what really frustrated me, and I wrote like a letter about this, which I posted on our site, was that we have a multi-platform business. And what's happened over the last 10 years is multi-platform businesses have sprung up. Like eight years ago or whenever they introduced, well, they introduced the app store 10 years ago, but in-app payments is a more relatively nuanced, newer thing. Businesses have changed. We're not just an app maker. We don't just make an app. We we make a service. Our service is available on the web, on Android, on on Windows, on the Mac, on Linux. Like we have to support our customers in different places and we have to do it the same way. What's really frustrating to me as a business owner about the App Store, forgetting the 30% just for a moment, is that I can't take care of my customers the same way. Mm -hmm. For example, a lot of people don't know this. If you send your customers through the in-app payment system through Apple, You you can't help them with billing issues. You can't help them with refunds. You can't help them with hardship discounts. You can't give them away for free. You can't do a whole bunch of things because Apple controls that whole process. Right. And if a customer has a problem, you have to say, go ask Apple. And you know what that ends up being? Sometimes it's three to five day response time while we have one hour response time. If you even get a response. If you even get a response. We have invested heavily in in amazing customers who usually get responses from us within an hour. And so for me to say like, Hey all you iOS users, I can't provide a great level of customer service which we've invested in for 20 years building. Yeah. And back-end systems that we built to make this so simple for people, like we can't help you. It's such a terrible experience for the user and Apple loves to say that the in-app payment system is beneficial for the user. And yes, the individual process of maybe buying the thing is nice. Apple no does friction, a great job that's with great. That. Yeah, no friction. Wonderful. And
0: your privacy, I don't know if you saw now where you can log in with your email. But they yes. don't give the email to the person. I love that. It's wonderful.
3: There's Apple some has wonderful so many aspects to going it. for them.
0: Yeah, so the, the wonderful but, aspects, but uh, there's more I, to it. Right? There's payment, more to it. It's very nuanced. payment is
3: just the yeah. smallest little detail. Truly, about yeah, really agree. taking care of a customer. And if a customer's paying me a hundred bucks a year, they expect me to help them. And for me to say I can't, that's wrong. So I I think what's going to happen is, and I understand how this happens. Like. There's new businesses, there's new business models, there's new platforms, there's new stuff that's changing. Apple's a big, huge company with a big entrenched you know, setup. And it's going to take a while for them, I think, to adjust ultimately to the reality on the ground that not every business runs only Apple stuff. And once they realize that, I know, I'm know, i sure they know it now, but yeah. it takes a lot of energy to move a big, massive object like Apple. They will probably ultimately allow people to choose their payment processors to maybe one of the things I'd love to see happen is sort of... a um, uh, a sort of a decoupling of the, of the charges. So let's say we have 30%. This is an idea. I, I don't know where this goes, but here's an idea, right? 30% is their number. Well, how do they attribute the 30? Where does th- the 30% come from? What right. Apple typically, because look, credit card charging is between one8 and 2.8%, basically. Yeah, That's call, how much it charges. Let's call it 3%, round it up. Fine. 3%, right? Okay. Perfect. So what's the balance? Well, distribution. I don't need distribution. I have my own distribution. Yeah. Marketing, discovery. I I get how if you're a brand new app maker, you don't have a business, you don't need that. I don't, uh, you might need that. I don't need that at all. No. I can send all my customers. So for me, I'd be happy to pay 3% to Apple perhaps to, to process cards if yeah. that was a choice. I'd also be happy to pay perhaps for the process of reviewing an app that we submit because there's time I wish involved. they okay. would do that.
0: Why don't right? they
3: allow you to pay 100 bucks
0: or 500 bucks, something de minimis, to get your app reviewed, this waiting and waiting is yeah. ridiculous. And I think they do that specifically to have power over you. And this is the Google technique as well, which is if if we make this process opaque, the more opaque we make it, the less you can complain on CNBC, like you <sighs> know David was doing, because right. they're just like, oh no, it's in process.